Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone. And welcome to another episode of Flushing is Burning. As always, I'm Grace. Um, there's not a lot going on this week other than uh, the, the playoffs. I mean, there really wasn't a lot of baseball news generally or even just sports news generally that I, I think we should cover. So there's been a little bit of Mets news. We'll, we'll, I'll start off with that, you know. Um, so the manager search um, isn't really going anywhere right now. Uh, gee, I wonder why, since it's been revealed that uh, Craig Council can't interview until after, uh, I believe, the World Series, November 1st or whatever, whatever that ends. Um, so all we've heard is that um, per Will Salmon of The Athletic, uh, it's likely to be an external candidate, which rules out the chance of Carlos Beltran or Eric Chavez in that scenario, which have been... Two names that I know Martino floated and and a couple other people floated and you know is it really surprising? Um, although I believe the Post did report that they're not they're not afraid to do a first time manager, um, which I guess is nice. But that's if they don't get Craig Council. This all seems to be just a big waiting game for Craig Council. Um, they asked to interview. Uh, I just want to make sure I get his title correct with the Rangers. Um, he's an associate manager, whatever the hell that is, uh, Will Venable. He's an associate, he's the associate manager of the Texas Rangers. And, um, I'm so baffled by what that means. Is that, is that just like a bench coach? Is that like a special bench coach? Who knows? Um, so they, he, he. Yeah, it's, it's he's an associate manager. I'm just looking at this list of coaches, and it's confusing. Um, so he turned down the opportunity to interview for the job. Um, not really surprised. His team is in the ALCS, and uh, the Mets last year won 77 games, or however much that was, 70 something. Uh, so I'm not surprised that you would turn that down. Uh, the, there's been one name I've heard floated other than Craig Council, and that's uh, Mark Budzinski, Mark Budzinski, the Toronto first base coach. I mean, this all, this all feels like one big waiting game trying to wait out Craig Council, right? Like, 
Like, that's how it feels. There's absolutely no movement. Um, they have this, if they wanted someone else, they could go out and, you know, they asked Will Venable for an interview. They've connected Budzinski to, to this. They could be interviewing people. Um, why are they waiting? Craig Council. So, every day it feels more and more likely that Craig Council's the next manager of the, the Mets, at least from an outsider's perspective. Um, yeah, that's really all the news from the manager search. This is such a slow week. Um, there have been some awards given out, finalists announced, so we'll, we'll get into that. Um, Francisco Lindor is a gold glove finalist. He he should win this. Like, looking at this list, he should win this. I also want to go off on a slight tangent. Um, and I want to bring up the list of the finalists, too, because it's... I get very mad about this, right? They introduced this utility Goldilocks, right? After years of people complaining and you had, what's his face, uh, Buck Showalter talking about it last year in, in regards to Luis Guillorme. And so they've, they've got this in here, right? And, and I just want to say that Lindor's up against uh, Dansby Swanson and Ezekiel Tovar. He, uh, he, like, he should win it, right? He had a great offensive season. That's usually why you win a gold glove, which is sad but true. Um, yeah, I don't. I, he probably. I'm not going to get my hopes up, but like, I want him to win. So they have this this utility glove, right? Utility gold glove. Mookie Betts, Tommy Edmond, and Hassan Kim are nominated for the utility glove, right? And now, from a pure, like, visual standpoint, yeah, that makes sense. Mookie Betts plays right field most of the time, but he's played second base. He played shortstop this year, right? Like, you, you, in, in some capacity, more than just, like, a game or an inning. So, that makes sense. Tommy Edmond moves all over the diamond. Um... Hassan Kim, he was short main shortstop last year, but he played second, he plays third, he plays short. Like, th this is, that makes sense. If you're nominated for the utility glove, you shouldn't also be nominated for another award because Mookie Betts is nominated for right field as well, and Hassan Kim is nominated for second base. If you're nominated for one of those, you should not be allowed to be nominated for utility because that means that you did spend a majority of your time at that position to get the Gold Glove nomination for that. The award doesn't work if you do it that way. And I believe that the American League has a similar problem, but not the same problem. Uh, Mauricio Dubon is nominated at utility, and he's also nominated for second base. Why? Are we nominating people when they play one position for minority majority of the time, and they're able like like I just it makes me mad, right? Because it, this should be an award that does celebrate the the Tommy Edmonds of the world, the Luis Guillermes of the world, the Jeff McNeils of the world, although he does play majority second base. But like these are guys who do play every like, all over the place, and aren't specifically at one position, right? Like, it's stupid. And I, again, I love movie bets. I want Tommy Edmund to win that gold glove for, like, this perceived sanctity of the award that I have. 
Because Mookie Betts should win it for right field because he's probably the best right fielder in the game, if not one of them, like him, Corbin Carroll, who else? But, like, this, it makes no sense, and it makes me mad. If you want to nominate Mookie Betts for utility, then don't nominate him. Say, okay, if you qualify for one of these other awards, you don't qualify for utility, right? If you're top three for right field, then you can't, even if you're the number one vote getter for utility as well, you cannot qualify for that. And that's my rant. It makes me upset. All right. Also, we had the all-rookie uh, teams come out. Kodai Senga, starting pitcher on the all-rookie first team, and Francisco Alvarez is the catcher on the all-rookie second team. This is uh, not a surprise to me. You know? it, it Like, that makes sense. I'm not going to – there's nothing really to say on that. So Kodai Senga had a fantastic season. He'll probably be in the top three, I assume, for Rookie of the Year. Um, Francisco Alvarez will probably get some down-ballot votes, but he did have sort of a slump there in the second half, and he didn't start off super hot. So I don't anticipate he'll be in the top of it. Yeah. I mean, there's what else is there to say? It it, it makes sense. Um, And then one that really interests me – as someone who loves uh, the Hall of Fame balloting, I don't know why, <laughs> of every award that's given at baseball, this is, like, I like the voting on this one the most. Maybe it's, maybe it's like, the Oscar fan of me where I'm, like, I'm, like, this is, like, the true, this is, like, the best picture, you know? Where, like, MVP is, like, best actor. Where it's, like, that's cool, but best picture is and it's a class of its own. Um, and they do the contemporary era committees, like they do those era committees where they have like a, a smaller group of people get together and vote. And this year, like people who haven't, I mean, it's managers and stuff like that, but it's also like players that that I'm I'm sure everyone listening knows how the Hall of Fame voting goes. Um, so this year, it's going to be like I think umpires, executives, and managers. And one of the nominees is Davey Johnson. Uh, former manager of the New York Mets, managed them to the World Series in, uh, what was that, 86? I can't believe I just forgot that. I'm trying to type to see who else is on this um, ballot. Don't <laughs> don't think that I don't know what year the Mets won the World Series. That was just a, it's, it's 11 a.m. and I'm kind of half asleep. Um, contemporary era committee. I told you I was going to be better at this, and then I lied. Um... Oh, God. I went to the Hall of Fame website. I gotta get the... Here we go. The Hall of Fame website's got, like, everything on it. I don't need all that. So the other nominees um, are... Cito Gaston, who managed um, the... There's, like, no information here. <laughs> I love this. This is great radio. Cito Gaston, who managed the Blue Jays, right? Right? Correct. To two World Series. Um, 894 wins I'm seeing here. Uh, David Johnson, who had 1372 wins. And his champ, Jim Leland, uh, who managed the... He managed the Tigers a few years ago, too. Was he Was he that whole time for the Tigers? That's, that's some commitment there. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, from 2006 to 2013, he managed the Marlins in that 97 World Series. God, that was a hoot, right? 
Uh, <laughs> Ed Montague was an umpire for 34 seasons. He umpired uh, over 4,300 games. Hank Peters, who was an executive uh, for 42 years, and he managed to a World Series for... i got to get better at remembering who won all these World Series because I'm seeing years and I'm not remembering what teams they won. Um, the Baltimore Orioles. Lou Pinella. Is it Pinella or Pinella? Pinella? Is he Italian? This is great. You're listening to me typing and trying to pronounce names. Um, Lou Pinella, who managed the... Well, he won two World Series as a player with the uh, with the Yankees. That's fun. And then he managed the Reds in 90 to a World Series. He was the manager for the Mar- Mariners, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, our beloved Joe West and uh, Bill White, who Joe West, as we all know, is um, one of the great <laughs> oh man, we we every time I think of uh, Joe West, I think of the who was it, Rajai Davis sliding into um sliding into him at home in what was that, 2019? That was hilarious. Um and then Bill White, who was he an executive, or was did are they just throwing him in there as a player? Like this, it's all executives, and then also, oh, he was the president of the National League for for five years. You know what? They should bring that back. They should bring back the leagues being their own thing. That was fun, right? I think so. So yeah, I'm I'm fully on the Davy Johnson into the Hall of Fame discussion. I think why the hell not? You know, there's worse choices. And that's that on that. The last one I want to get to um is Trevor May, beloved Met from 2021 to 2022. He had his ups and downs here, but he was a, one of baseball's good guys, I would say. You know, like, he's, like, a good guy to root for. He was just, like, you could tell he was a good guy. He liked to stream. He seemed like he was fun. He did, like, little vlogs. We We loved it. He announced his retirement this week. Um, great career. Uh, I would not be surprised if he has a career in broadcasting ahead of him. He's very articulate, very fun. Uh, just a good guy to listen to. Um, and then, of course, we have to celebrate the fact, and I do have this pulled up because I wanted to make sure I have the quote. He <laughs> ripped into John Fisher, owner of the Oakland, soon-to-be Las Vegas Athletics. Um which he played with the A's last season. So he said, quote, sell the team, dude. Sell it, man. Before this, I remember he said that he wanted to get the shirt that said sell the team, but he didn't come in time. Uh, Quote, let someone who actually, like, takes pride in the things they own, own something. There's actually people who give a shit about the game. Let them do it. Take mommy and daddy's money somewhere else, dork. (laughs) It's great. He sounds the way I would talk to John Fisher. Um... If you're going to be a greedy fuck, own it. There's nothing weaker than being afraid of cameras. Do what you're going to do, bro. Whatever. You're a billionaire. They exist. You guys have all this power. You shouldn't have any because you haven't earned any of it. But anyway, whatever. So we love that for Trevor. Um, And 
he's right. John Fisher, go fuck yourself is really like the the vibe. I'm glad to see that like the players feel this way too. You know, like it did, doesn't surprise me, but like that little seal getting broken and being like, oh, the players hate this guy too. It's just it's so stupid. Like, and he's right. If you're gonna do all this, do it. But don't be afraid of what you're doing. Like he's not going out to the cameras. He's letting his little his little lackeys, his little front office guys take the heat for him. It's John Fisher. Where the hell's he all in all of this? And that's the Met news for this week. I'm so sorry that this this segment was <laughs> terrible. Um, was a lot of me looking up stuff and and not being prepared. I was prepared with that ace thing. We ended on a high. Um. Yeah, so this is there's like nothing going on other than other than playoffs, which we'll get to in the next half. But like, let's let's just let's take a break, and when we come back, um, I'll be better prepared. And we're back. Uh, so this week obviously is also the playoffs. Uh, we had the some ALCS action and some NLCS action. So in the ALCS, the Rangers went down three and two in the series. It looked like so they won two in in Houston, which I believe we got to last week. Um, they went up two nothing. Then they lost three straight at home. The Rangers, which is awful. Uh, and then they won Game Six last night. Now today, I believe is Game Seven. So by the time this comes out, this will be dated. But I want it to be known. Flushing is burning is Team Rangers all the way, okay? The, the te- we are pro Jacob DeGrom getting a ring on this show. I don't care how it ended with the Mets. That man was here for, like, what, nine years? Eight, nine years? Give him a ring. His, his arm is like, is, like, pulled pork in there. Just let him get a ring when he can, right? So we are Team Rangers. We're rooting for the Rangers. Tonight, Max Scherzer starting. So this could age really badly. Very well could be the Astros in the World Series. Um, we had in Game 5 in Fort Arling- in Arlington. Fort Arlington. In Arlington. A little bit of drama. Uh, so in Game 5, Adelise Garcia hit a home run to put the Rangers ahead and he pimped it as many players nowadays are want to do like this isn't I feel like five years ago the whole idea of like pimping a home run was like way different and like then you'd be like heavens to Betsy they actually did it but like this is 2023 people are doing this all the time and like it put his team ahead in a tied series at home, of course he's going to fucking pimp it. Like, that's my thing. Like, of course. Then his next at bat, he gets up. There's a runner on, no outs. Brian Abreu is pitching. Now, Brian Abreu isn't one of these pitchers that has control issues, right? Like, he's he's good in terms of control, in terms of he doesn't really throw up and into right-handers, which Adelise Garcia is a, is a righty. and he hits him. Clearly intentionally. Like, I don't understand the whole, oh, why would he do it? That's stupid. Yeah. But he did it. Like, this isn't, this isn't like, um, like one of these terrible pitchers with no control we're talking about here. This is a guy who has great control. 
and the way he reacted, the way Martin Maldonado acted, the way everyone reacted on the field, and the fact that every um, there's six umpires on the field for this game. Every single one of them went, yeah, that was intentional. And people are still like, how dare you say that about Brian Abreu? Like, what? So this this situation created a bench-clearing brawl. Um, I liked the Fox uh, broadcast actually edited together a video of all the times that Martin Maldonado has pissed off the Rangers this year, which is really funny. Uh, because he, like, he'll just stand there at home plate and then, like, say shit to them as they cross the plate, which is like, come on, man. Like, that's fucking bullshit. Um, but it started a bench-clearing brawl. Brian Abreu got suspended for two games. Uh, he appealed it yesterday, right before the game. So he was able to pitch last night. And then the the ruling is going to be today at some point. Um, Adelise Garcia got ejected. Dusty Baker got ejected, um, which was hilarious because he refused to leave the, the, the bench. <laughs> which was like so that was a classic he's loose and there's like what do you want me to? like he's you could tell he's like i'm not leaving it was so funny um but yeah it was it, it it was ridiculous um and then game six nathan uvaldi started big game nate i've been a nathan uvaldi fan for years and every time he does something where he like he is a different breed in the playoffs. And I think it's important that we recognize this and we like give this man his flowers for for being as good as he is in the playoffs. It it's it's spectacular. I mean, he had a bad end to the season, if I remember correctly. And then like he just turns around and he's like, Yeah, I'm in the playoffs now, and then like turns it on again. So it, it it's spectacular. And then last night, you know, the Astros struck out. Adelise Garcia four times, and they were like, oh, we keep striking Adelise Garcia out there. Their social media kept making posts about it. And then Adelise Garcia hit a grand slam. And the the Rangers were up 5-2, to two, but, like, that grand slam was the dagger, right? Because you can – there's a world where you can see the Astros coming back from down in the ninth, right? Like, all you need is a couple base runners, and then, like, you need Jose Altuve up or Jordan. You've won the game. The seven runs is all a different story. And he came, he very went around the bases, didn't really, you know, do anything. If that was me, if I was at least Garcia, I'd be turning cartwheels around the bases. I'd be, you ever go into, I'm a big MLB The Show player, and there's those, those animations around the bases where you're like dancing around the bases, and then like you run past second, and you're like, oh, I forgot to touch it, and you go back and touch it. Like, that's what I would be doing. I would be acting a fool on the base paths and then I would stomp both feet I would jump up like a two-year-old jumping into a puddle and I would stomp on home plate like he's better than I am is all I'm saying um so yeah game seven is tonight it's tied 3-3 this series tonight's gonna be intense I kind of like I had to record today so we'd get it out in time but like kind of hate that I'm not recording until after the game until before like before the game happens um, so next week we'll have, we'll, next week we'll know who's in the World Series and we'll already have World Series games going on, which is crazy to me. Um, yeah. And then there's also an NLCS going on. The Phillies, they are something else. Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, Kyle Schwarber, these guys are crazy. 
But the Arizona Diamondbacks are refusing to die, which is is very interesting to me. And today is game six. So I believe the Phillies are up three to, right? They're up three games to two. Yes. Uh, They're in Philadelphia tonight. Today? Oh, it's at five. Uh, I'm not going to be surprised if the Phillies destroy them tonight because they are in Philadelphia. They want to win this. Um, If they win this tonight, they'll have the same amount of rest as whoever wins this ALCS, so that'll be nice. Um, And I want to comment on something very specific to me, and I feel like to this show as well. They're using Dancing on My Own by... Well, originally by Robin as their song, right? But they're using a version by some guy named Callum Scott. Now, no hate to Callum Scott. I don't know who he is. That's not my thing. But you know what? You do you, pal. Fantastic. Why? Is there some sort of rights issue that is keeping them from using the original Robin version of this song? The perfect Robin version of this song. This song should be sang by Robin, and that's it. This is my same thing with Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. Why is there another version sung by a man? We don't need that. That is not needed. You know, certain certain ones I will give you any chance you want to. No, not these. These are ours. And it makes me mad every time I hear them playing it in the stadium or in the celebrations, and they're all singing it, and I'm like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. This should be the Robin version. Because anything, if they, if the Phillies lose the World Series this year, the second year in a row of using this song, it's because they did not use the Robin version. And that is my belief. It's, why are we using a subpar version of this song? It's, it's mind-boggling. And I just... It makes me mad. It makes me, you can hear it. I've been holding on to this for two years. Why? Anyway, the the Diamondbacks are starting Merrill Kelly tonight. That didn't, that didn't go great last time. Uh, gave up three homers. Um, and he like made some sort of comments about Here's the thing. If I'm going into Philadelphia as, a, as an opponent, I'm not saying a fucking thing about Philadelphia until we're clear out of that place for good. If I'm Merrill Kelly, I'm not saying a thing until game seven's over, right? And I never have to see Citizens Bank Park for like six months. And they'll let me have it early next year. And then they won't, you know, whatever. It's him versus Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola has a. 0.96 ERA in three postseason starts. This man is going crazy. And he wasn't bad in the ball, in the regular season, but he wasn't like 2018 He This postseason is going to get him the bag. He struck out, he has struck out 19 and 18 and two third innings, and he's only walked two. That's someone, we'll, we'll talk about this probably in a couple weeks, but he's someone that I wouldn't hate the Mets going after in terms of in terms of um, rotation help, you know. He's young-ish. I think he's like 29. I would not hate that at all. I've always kind of liked Aaron Nola. Um, never had anything against him. He's 30 years old. Yeah. That's, don't, that is my don't be surprised move for the Mets this uh, offseason. But, 
yeah, this is gonna be a um, this is gonna be a wild game six. If the Diamondbacks can win game six, I will be genuinely um. Obviously, if the Phillies win Game Six, there is no Game Seven. But like, if they win Game Six, I feel like their percentage of winning Game Seven shoots through the roof because they'll actually have been able to do it in Philly. But I'm I'm predicting the Phillies. I think the Phillies will make it through. Um, Bryce Harper and Nick Castellanos are just going to go crazy in Citizens Bank Park tonight, and that's going to be it. Now, here's the interesting thing that I was listening last night to the broadcast: if the Astros win. The world, the um, the ALCS. I believe the Phillies have home field advantage in the post in the World Series. If the Rangers win, then I think the Rangers have home field advantage. Um, which is interesting. What 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 record? Did the, so all three teams ended with a ninety and seventy two record. So it's all coming down to I think matchups and stuff like that, which is like. It, of course, it would come down to three teams with 90 and 72. This is the, we can't have the wild card anymore. The week-long buy is bad for people. <laughs> Who gives a shit? All right, I think I did just about as much as I can do. This is going to be a shorter episode than usual. There's just nothing going on other than some general postseason stuff. And even that, like, it's just, like, continuations. Um, so let's, let's take a break. We'll come back. I'll have a movie minute. Hopefully that won't be, um, every movie I've ever seen again. All right. And we're back. Um, so I I was thinking what our, what the show here is going to be once the season's over. And of course we'll have off season stuff with, you know, the Mets and general league stuff, but there's going to be like a period of, and and awards and and stuff like that, but there's going to be stretches of time where it's going to be very boring. So I'm trying to, th- I-, I was trying to think of what we could do that would make this show maybe a little bit more fun. And I was thinking we might, I, I might want to do some, some more movie stuff, of course. Um, Maybe do some baseball movie content, Uh, keep it, you know, connected to the show, but also uh, with, an eye on what else we could do. Cause this, I don't I, like, I'm a Bulls fan, but I just, I can't with them anymore. <laughs> and Liberty just lost in the finals. It was a game four. That was terrible. Um, so I'm not going to have a ton of stuff to talk about anyway. And next year's Olympics are summer Olympics. So I don't even have winter Olympics that we could do. So yeah, we might, we might just pivot to some baseball movie content. So I will keep you guys posted. Obviously, we'll talk about it on the show. If there's anything, I'll tweet about it, put it on Instagram, anything like that. Um, maybe we'll read books. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We will. I will give this a good amount of thought. Um, but the <laughs> likelihood is that it's going to be more movie content, which I think would be fun. We'll watch, you know discuss a little bit of a movie together for a part for an act two, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, now talking about movies, as always, we've got the patented Grace Carbone movie minute. Now this is going to be the last one for October, right? I was, I did my math wrong. I thought there was going to be another one next week, but given that we usually post these episodes on Wednesdays, next Wednesday is November, which is crazy. I can't believe that. So, 
next week we're gonna get into my next my next uh point. But I wanna end this month on one of my favorite I wouldn't say it's a horror film. It's horror, but it's not like <gasps> horror or anything like that. And you know what? I'm gonna actually do two because I, I did do my math wrong and I wanna I wanna shout out both of them because they're both good. So they're both a little bit older. Um, one's from the 80s, one's from the 60s, um, but both are fantastic. So if you're looking for something that's a little less um, scary and a little more funny, then, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen this already, but Little Shop of Horrors, the musical film from 1986. So he's like an hour and a half long, if that. And it's so good, so funny. The music is so great. It's kind of the perfect cult film in a way. Like, you you sit there and you, you know, I'm sorry, I'm distracted. I googled this and there's a little plant. And I don't know what it wants me to do, but the plant is just flashing. So, it, I will figure that out. Um, you know, on Google, it's, I don't know. It's the, it's the, it's the larger chill, right? Like, the... The concept of this is crazy. And now it comes from a 1960, I believe, or 61, um, 1960 film, a Roger Corman film who's psychotic. Like, if you ever get a chance to watch some Roger Corman films, totally recommend uh, because they're crazy. But this guy, played by the great, as always, Rick Moranis, he's in love with this girl, uh, Audrey who has this abusive dentist boyfriend, played by Steve Martin. Uh, and he is a terrible boss, played by Vincent Gardinia. Uh, and he finds this plant, and the plant feeds off human blood, and it becomes sentient. It starts to talk. The go through too. This movie has the like one of these great casts where you have John Candy and Christopher Guest and Bill Murray, and it's it's so funny and the 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 music is so good like it's one of those movies that i can't believe exists and is as good as it should be and it's directed by frank oz um which he was he worked with jim henson for a while and then he did um some stuff with star wars he was yoda uh he's directed a lot of stuff um and oh god excuse me it's 11 a.m i don't know why i'm so tired um it's so, so fun. I saw this in the theater a couple of years ago. And there's a second ending, right? So the original ending is like, the, the, the theatrical ending, we'll say, not the original ending. The theatrical ending is this like great triumphant heroes moment, right? And then the, the original ending that they cut, that they reshot, is, is psychotic. It it's it, what's funny is it doesn't give the audience what it would want in like a traditional sense, but it works better than I think the the theatrical ending, and it's a miracle that it still exists because they cut it and it was like all that was available was like a black and white version. It was like this work print rough thing, and then Warner was like, okay, we're gonna restore this, and they put it out on Blu-ray, and it's. The, the the original ending, it's longer, but it's so much better. And I really, I think if you've seen it, 
without the original ending. If you've seen the the theatrical ending with the heroes sort of like of course triumphant moment, um watch it the watch it with the original ending. And if you've never seen it at all, watch both. Because it's so quick. Even with the original ending, it's like an hour and thirty something minutes. Like it's it it it, it flies. So that's my first one. Um and then what I want to recommend is a film from 1963, directed by Robert Wise. So this is a black and white film. It's called The Haunting. Uh, it's an adaptation of uh, Shirley Jackson's novel, The Haunting of Hill House, which they turned into a Netflix series a few years ago. I haven't seen that, but I've seen this. Um, it's got Julie Harris, uh, Claire Bloom, Russ Tamblin. This movie, for its time, is pretty scary. Um, and it's also kind of... Um, it, it, it's a little progressive, right? And I just want to make sure that I get this right. But you've got... Um, I want to know... I want to make sure I get the character's name right here where <sighs> Julie Harris is so good in this movie um yeah so Claire Bloom plays Theo and I believe the Wikipedia page is giving me nothing here so Theo in the book is gay in the movie, she is maybe bisexual, but here's 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 what I think is important to keep in mind in that in that idea. Um, it's it's from nineteen sixty three, and nineteen sixty three. Keep in mind where we were in history. There was no Stonewall at that time. There were no. There was no real gay rights movement. Um, it was especially in England where this was made. I believe it was still classified as a mental illness. They. The original film was supposed to go. A little bit further, into, Theo's queerness, and it doesn't. Which. Is understandable at the time. I mean, this is still the Hayes Code, everything like that. So when we when we look at this film, I think it's important. I know so, I know there's a way to be like, well, they could have just done it anyway. You really can't at that time, right? And this is this is film history at this point. This is I, I recommend. I'm gonna do this again. I'm so sorry that I'm doing this to my movie minute again. I recommend and I recommended this a few months ago. So at least this is a callback to something. Um, the the documentary, the celluloid closet, because it really does go into this stuff. You had to make it into subtext, and this film makes it as close to and partially text as it possibly can without upsetting the censors, right? And this is a British film, so they were allowed to go a little bit further. I mean, there's the 1961 film, 1960 film, Victim, which actually does go into stuff like this, like in a textual way, which is crazy. It goes into homophobia and stuff like that. Um, British and the kitchen sink dramas of the time allowed sort of their their film industry to get a little bit wider on what it depicted. Um, but yeah, this this film 
takes it to a point where like you're like wow I can't believe a film from 1963 actually did that um and then there's all sorts of subtext to read into it with with Eleanor's character and Theo's character and it's such a great film. Like, it's actually really scary. And the guy directed it is Robert Wise, right? And and if, you, if you've heard of his name, he's directed two Best Picture winners. He did direct them. He's dead now. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, he directed West Side Story. He co-directed it with Jerome Robbins. But he really directed it. Jerome Robbins just sort of took the lead on the dance segments of it. Um, and then he directed The Sound of Music. So this guy is talented and this guy's great and he made this movie kind of right in the middle of those two right because the west side story came out in 61 sound of music came out in 65 so he put himself right in the middle there he did this and this is kind of like a little bit b-movie-ish not 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 super b-movie but a little bit b-movie-ish and what i think is really fascinating about this is that he spends his entire career doing stuff like this where he sort of tackles some of these, especially at that time. You know, he had he had just done Odds Against Tomorrow in 1959, which I might recommend next month. It's a, it's a great noir with um, Sidney Poitier and I believe Richard Widmark. Um, uh, I can't believe I just got all of that wrong. It's Harry Belafonte. The noir I was thinking about with Sidney Poitier was, oh, was it him and uh, John Cassavetes? seen so many noir films um no it's not him and John but what movie I have no idea what movie I'm thinking about with Sidney Poitier right now but it's Harry Belafonte Robert Ryan who's essentially like there's like three big noir actors of that like late 50s period for me and it's like him and Richard Woodmark and like whoever else um but this no way out by Joseph Mankiewicz that's the one I'm thinking about with Sidney Poitier and Richard Woodmark I was thinking of the entirely wrong movie I was thinking, in for some reason, the two names flip-flopped in my mind. But Harry Belafonte in it. So he was tackling stuff like, you know, um, you know, obviously in this he was doing like horror with sexuality mixed in with such story. It was racism and sound music had the Nazis and Odds Against Tomorrow was racism. And then you had I Want to Live, which covered fucking everything in that movie. Um, but his his work is so fascinating. I think that this one is such an interesting point in his career where he was like doing his thing. It, it's it's such a fascinating film to watch in terms of like visuals too. The cinematography is so good. It, it's got you know moving sort of these these sequences with the cameras moving and there's like weird like tracking shots and stuff like that it, it's the, the the production design is great so it's really worth it to sort of seek out this film from from 1963 because you kind of can't believe it was made then right because it feels like it was made then but it also feels like it was th there was this really interesting thing happening in like those 60s early 60s horror films where it feels of its time, but it also feels ahead of its time. I just went and saw The Birds yesterday, and Hitchcock, you know, I, I've seen so many Hitchcock films, and he never really trafficked in gore or anything like that. His his horror and thrillers were more of the psychological brand. Um, 
But the birds had some really gory stuff. I mean, there's those scenes where the guy's eyes are pecked out by birds when you all you see are the empty sockets. And you're like, holy cow. You know? So there's this interesting pocket of films where the like in the early 60s where it feels of its time and ahead of its time so i would i would classify the haunting in there it's like an hour and 50 minutes totally worth your time it's on max as well as little shop of horrors i believe as well um little shop of horrors i also think is available on free for like on youtube like one of their free with ads um so you can find both these films pretty easily yeah that's that's this has been a very rambling episode, and I apologize for that. But it's also been a shorter episode. So, you know, you take the good with the bad. Um, thank you so much for listening. You know where to find us online. We're on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at FIB Pod. We're on Instagram at Flushing is Burning Pod. And we're on, uh, you can email us at flushingisburning at gmail.com. I also encourage you to subscribe to the Patreon. If you go to homerunapplesauce.com, there's a link there that will take you to the Patreon. Um, if you're listening to the show, I assume you listen to the other shows on Home Run Applesauce, uh, a pot of their own, from Complex to Queens, Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World Series. Actually got it right this time. Um, and if you subscribe to the Patreon, you're not only supporting us, you're also giving yourself the opportunity to get more in depth with with these um shows and these creators uh you can join our private discord server there's uh monthly po- uh playlists i believe um i i think there's something where there might be some merch at some point i don't know but it's like five bucks a month you know and it's just you're supporting us uh who work so hard to make that and as hard as i work on this i know it's not even close to comparing to what everyone else puts into this so, I I would recommend you do that. Um, I I have no idea what's going to happen over the next week in terms of the playoffs. Very weird situation we're in right now. We could have the world's weirdest World Series, which I think would be Rangers Diamondbacks. I wouldn't hate it, but yeah, this is going to be a this going to be an interesting week. Hopefully, next week we have uh, more stuff to talk about other than just the playoffs and like the most minor Mets news that I try to push up into 15 minutes and uh yeah so thank you for listening um let's go Mets I mean they're not playing it feels weird to say that let's I hope everyone in the playoffs has fun